you get the sense of the immense grief and conflict that this character is going through. But it's just little things. And that is such an incredible grasp of the fundamentals. Specificity, breeding, a much deeper well of emotion. Welcome back. Welcome back, everybody. After many weeks off, welcome back to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I'm Jacob, and that's Jackson, and we are here today to discuss an uh, an incredibly heavily awarded play, a first play of the season play, uh, a really incredible play play. It's an exciting day all the way around around. Yes, indeed. Yes. Hello, everyone. I'm excited to be back from the hiatus and excited to be talking about this play today. English by Sanaz Tusi is a, an amazing play, a real, really great play. It does a lot of things really interesting theatrically and also tells a really impactful story. So excited to have the chance to talk about it today. Yeah, for the life of no script, the first episode of the season has always been this sort of thing that we've tried to figure out. And we've sort of, yeah. for the for the first while, we did only Lynn Nottage plays. Lynn Nottage being, you know, in my humble opinion, one of the, if not the best, like, living American dramatist that we have. And so we did that for a while, and then we kind of moved into this pattern of trying to do recent Pulitzers. And that is stymied by the fact that we do two seasons a year roundabouts yeah. and there's only one <laughs> Pulitzer awarded every year. So we're always trying to figure out what the first episode of the season is going to be and what it's going to look like. And luckily, this time around, it was easy. We did a Lynn Nottage episode last season, but this season we get to do the 2023 winner of the Pulitzer Prize for Drama, which is English, which is uh, just a Stellar, stellar, stellar play. I think it'll be huge fodder for conversation. You never know what you're going to get from the Pulitzers. You know, we, we've done a lot of them. We've done the vast majority of the recent ones of the past 20 or 30 years already. Some of them are truly spectacular, legacy, world-changing plays. Some of them are plays that make you go, why did this play win the Pulitzer? I won't tell you which ones I think that of, but that's just how it is, you know? And this year, at least, I can confidently say, and I hope you trust that I mean it when I say English is a really, really good play. Yeah, super, super good. I'm, I'm excited for the chance to talk about it because it does like the, the 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 degree to which it dives into so many issues around communication, around identity, around language in general. Uh, just so much, so much good stuff in there. Excited to chat about it, and excited to chat about the sort of uh, there's 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 a little bit of theater magic in there, or the magicalness of theater that 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 we'll get to kind of uh, chat about as well. So excited for all of that conversation. Before we jump into it, though, right here, right away at the start of the season, one to send a big thank you out to all, all of our patrons over at patreon.com slash no script podcast thank you all so much for continuing to be patrons of the show means so much we're going into season 12 of this podcast it's unbelievable it's so 12 cool. seasons it's wild <laughs> so it's many plays wild. i i'm meant to like pull up how many plays that is i'll figure it out one one of the, one of these times and the, at the start of the show in one of the episodes this season but a lot of shows a lot of seasons and it's all made possible by the patrons over at patreon.com slash no script podcast if you're looking for a way to help out the show it's a great way to do it if you're looking for a way to become more involved in the show it's also a great way to do it the lowest tier is just one dollar a number of other tiers over there as well and uh, at that one dollar amount you're getting patron only posts access to the scripts we're doing early all sorts of fun things as well as just the kind of conversation and community over there so it's a great spot to be if you're looking for a way to help out the show be a part of the community head on over to patreon.com slash no script podcast and we will see you over there and now, for the first time in season 12, back to the script. Yes, here we go.
So, Sanaz Tusi, for our intro playwright of this fresh new season, is a new playwright to the podcast. Uh, I, I think that that, I, I don't know, on average, the Pulitzer Prize winners, they I, I don't know if this is an intentional effort by the Pulitzer Prize Committee or not. Um, the committee changes generally, so it, it, it would have to be by the institution or something like that. But all that to say, the, the Pulitzer Prize winners are not across the board like widely recognized playwrights when they win the Pulitzer. Um, now, oftentimes, winning the Pulitzer is a springboard to becoming a widely recognized playwright. And certainly, Sanaz Tusi has benefited enormously from uh, winning the Pulitzer Prize in 2023 to the degree that her earlier play, which uh, I neglected to write down, I apologize, I don't have the title of in front of me, she had an earlier play that did not have the same kind of commercial success that English had, and it is now off-Broadway in New York City, largely because of the name recognition of Sanaz Tusi and her success with English. So it, it, it becomes a springboard, but oftentimes the Pulitzer Prize winner is a playwright we get to introduce on the podcast to this audience for the purpose of our conversations. And that's a great privilege. Sanaz Tusi is an Iranian-American playwright. Her parents immigrated to the United States after the Iranian Revolution. Um, she's from California. She got her MFA at the NYU Tisch School of the Arts in only 2018. So, uh, I mean, that makes her a fairly recent playwright to the, you know, whatever you want to call the big leagues with all of the elitism and blah, blah, blah that comes around that. But certainly had enough clout to get a huge amount of commissions on her resume. Um, and a lot of those are coming because of the Pulitzer Prize win that typically there's a cash prize of the Pulitzer, of course, but a lot of the real value of it comes from the commissions you get from theater companies to write after winning the Pulitzer. So she now has commissions from places like the Atlantic Theater Company, the Roundabout Theater Company, Williamstown Theater Festival, Manhattan Theater Club, South Coast Rep, Oregon Shakespeare Festival. She's the 2009 P73 Playwriting Fellow. She's recipient of the 2020 Steinberg Playwright Award, the 2022 recipient of the Horton Foote Award, the Lawrence Hatcher Foundation Award winner. I mean, she's had a really stellar, what I would call early career. And she is a playwright who, I mean, I, I don't know if she, if sometimes she feels this way. This is me speculating based really off of just reading about her career. But I would classify Sanaz Tusi as a playwright in her young career, in her early career. So the fact that she wins a Pulitzer so recent, I mean, five years after graduating with her MFA is astounding. And so what that means to me is that we are about to see the rise of a really robust career. That's my prediction based off of what I've seen in this play, which is playwriting chops that are incredibly impressive. I would be shocked if Sanaz Tushi does not go on to write some really incredible pieces of drama across the course of her career. She's done a lot more writing for TV. I mean, her writing chops are demonstrated by the fact that she's been staffed on shows that you would recognize. Um, this play in particular premiered in 2022 off-Broadway at the Atlantic Theater Company. And then it, in part because it was up for the Pulitzer, but honestly before that it had productions. I mean, it, it goes on to do the professional regional circuit in a big way. 2023 Studio Theater in D.C., 2023 Soul Pepper Theater in Quebec, 2023 at Berkeley rep, 23 at Alliance Theater in Atlanta, 2023 production in Barrington Stage Company in Massachusetts, and more and more and more. This year, 2024, as of right now, Concord's website says that there are three companies doing productions, um, so you may be able to check some of these out, depending on where you are and when you are. If you're in San Diego, English is playing at the Old Globe Theater in January and February. If you're at Arts West Playhouse, if you're in Seattle, rather, you can go to the Arts West Playhouse, see production in April. Uh, if you are in Minneapolis or the surrounding area or just anybody, because the Guthrie is huge and well-known and people travel to see shows at the Guthrie, check it out at the Guthrie that's amazing. I hope I'm in Minneapolis yeah, yeah. at that time of year. July and August 2024, it will be at the Guthrie. I'm sure that will be spectacular. 
In addition to the Pulitzer Prize for Drama, English also won, won the 2023 Obie Award for Best New American Play. Those awards often, but not always, collide. Um, sometimes the a play will win both awards. Sometimes the winner of the Obie Award will be a nominee for the Pulitzer Prize, a finalist, and the finalists are also uh, uh, honored as part of the Pulitzer Ceremony. Not always, though. Um, and it was a, nom a nominee for the 2022 Drama Desk Award for Outstanding Play. Um, that, I mean, there's a lot more to what goes on in the making of a Pulitzer Prize winner. In some ways, those are the hardest plays to do the contexts for because it it is it's a very specific kind of award and yeah. it's not you know when i when i teach and when i talk to people about plays it's not like my go-to list of amazing <laughs> plays is the pulitzer prize i mean they're all amazing plays but it's just a it's a specific kind of thing it requires for example a specific amount of success in order to be considered for the pulitzer prize so it I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not sure that my top three plays, if I just came up with that list, I'm not sure any of them have won the Pulitzer Prize. That doesn't undersell the fact that it's an incredible award and an incredible achievement, but it's it's got a specific sort of niche, and that's why we like to do it at the beginning of the seasons whenever possible, because it, it establishes that one kind of play can be heavily awarded and honored. And then, as you'll see across our season 12, there are many other kinds of great plays that we're looking forward to talking to. But time today is for English by Sanaz Tusi. Yes, indeed. So uh, we're going to jump into some uh, synopsis of this play just to get started. So we're starting on the same page a little bit. Uh, it's my New Year's resolution. We're recording this close to New Year's as we as we prepare for the season. It's my New Year's resolution to keep the synopses short and tight this season. So uh, we're jumping into the synopsis there. Um, worth noting right away at the beginning, um, this is a play with all Iranian uh, actors and, and names in it. And uh, we, we a lot of times on the show, we joke about how bad we are at names. Um, and and we are often somewhat bad at pronouncing names. Uh, it feels particularly important, though, to note, uh, given the context of this play or given the the content of this play, um, that that we're I'm going to do my best with the names. I sincerely apologize if I get any names wrong. Um, uh, but what uh, we're going to do our best with the names and and uh, and learning them and the pronunciation well, um, and jumping into that conversation as as I engage these this uh, synopsis. Sweet. We've listened to people pronounce these names, as we do for lots of the episodes with names that are hard, for, especially for me, to pronounce. And so we're we're real. I we're really trying, and I we're we're working hard. It, it's something that means a lot to us to get that right and to commit to that part of it. And mistakes will be made. Yes, indeed. So jumping into the synopsis for this play, um, this play centers on five characters. Um, it takes place in Iran in 2008. A quick bit of context there, 2008 was a pretty contentious election where the uh, conservative party declared something like 90% of the reformist party in at, are uneligible to be voted on. So it was, a, it was kind of a bit of a voting uh, 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 <laughs> complicated voting season is what I'll say. Um, just, just with a little bit of context there. And so it's, it was a kind of a fraught season election wise. And so it's a very particular year that this play is written in. Um, and these uh, four students are are in this class trying to learn English. Um, they're trying to learn it uh, for the sake of a uh, a test that they are taking, a uh, English for uh, test of English as a foreign language test, um, and they are being taught by Marjan. Now, Marjan is uh, 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 an English American English speaking and teaching uh, uh, a teacher who is uh, kind of teaching the rest of these students. She lived abroad in Massachusetts for a very long time, and then has moved back to Iran um, and uh, is is kind of going about the process of teaching this class um, for uh, those who are uh, learning to learn English as a foreign language. In this class as well, you have uh, Elham, who is studying English to uh, kind of complete the requirements for kind of studying continued uh, medical degree in Australia. You have Omid, who uh, is a very fluent uh, uh, English speaker already, but is taking the class as well. Um, all of the character descriptions has kind of degrees of accents, and uh, the, of the characters who I've named so far, Elham, Elham has a very thick accent, and Omid has barely any detectable accent when speaking English. You also have uh, Roya. Um, Roya is has also has a, a pretty thick accent. She is 54, um, and she is learning 
learning English um, for the, for the sake of her grandchild Claire, who uh, knows English, lives in Canada, and uh, she's looking to move there and live with them full time. You also have Goli, who is a student uh, who's eighteen, has a very light accent, and is uh, when when speaking English and is uh, just learning the language, some partially for the love of it, and also just to kind of get into the language more. So those are the four students who are learning from Marjan. The play takes place over six to seven-ish weeks um, of education, and, and the structure of it is broken out into the kind of Monday, Wednesday, Friday, um, with office hours on the weekend or something like that, I assume. So uh, three days a week-ish, these characters all come together and meet and learn English in a classroom together. They go through exercises, they kind of present different themes and topics, and uh, and kind of speak, uh, speak English as they interact with each other and uh but also slip into farsi frequently to the point that eventually about midway through uh, Mar Marjan is forced to kind of institute some punishments <laughs> for slipping into farsi and 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 speaking in farsi because it's a big goal of hers to kind of like keep the classroom in uh in an english only zone to kind of get this immersive experience learning the language um which she believes will help them on their test some of the arc of this play uh, has to do with the journey of people leaving the class. Um, the, the, the first to leave is, is uh, uh, Roya, who over the course of uh, learning the language continues to be frustrated with it, especially frustrated with names and how a uh, loss of the names of people um, uh, uh, and, and the name of her, of her granddaughter being Claire, a uh, kind of non-Iraqi name, um, non-Farsi-based name, has some pain associated with that. For, for for her but the reason she ends up leaving is uh she uh, kind of work, work, works her way around to noticing some pain in her relationship with her son um, and uh, and pain with the language of English at all. And so eventually uh, in her presentation, which most people are presenting these kind of uh, English songs and talking about them, she presents an Iraqi song in Farsi um, and uh, it's the last time we see Roya is her kind of presenting that noting the pain that she feels in her family interactions as she's trying to move to Canada um, uh, to be with her family and, and the kind of loss that she feels at the distance of her family and the loss of her own language. The uh, next character that we lose touch with is actually Omid. O Omid has this kind of uh, journey of being the the most prevalent or the most fluent speaker of English in the class. Um, he kind of has this relationship with uh, Merjan, uh, where they interact quite a bit more, being the most comfortable with English. Um, and there's even some kind of wondering around, like, is there any spark here? Or is there any any kind of connection here that might might last outside of this class? But we find out through the course of the class that he's in fact engaged um, and not. Not only is that that, but he was uh, raised in Ohio, born and born and raised in Ohio. He's an American citizen, um, and he grew up there, and uh, that's why he knows English so well. He has an American passport, though it's expired. We find out later, um, and as such, this revelation leads to him not being able to take the class anymore because it's not a class for people who uh, grew up speaking English. It's a people for, uh, class for people who are looking to take this test with English as a second language. So eventually, Omid leaves as well. We are down to just uh, Elham and. And, and Goli, who are taking this class with uh, Marjan. Uh, El again, Elham is taking this as a part of uh, her journey to uh, get into her medical training in Australia. And she's uh, taken this test that they're studying for multiple times already. It's a revelation that we learned about throughout the course of the play um, and failed it uh, multiple times. So she, uh, in particular, has a need from this class and a frustration with English and its ephemeralness, English being a language that makes no sense. Um, and so... Uh, so uh, she continues to study hard and but but push against the rules in the classroom. And she tends to notice some of the uh, maybe favoritism that's shown to Omid by Merjan, um, as well as the uh, the dynamic in the classroom. Uh, she comes up against the, the rule board quite a bit and is dismissed early from class multiple times. However, she is the one who la makes it the longest. She hangs out all the way to the end and is a part of the epilogue, which I'll talk about in just a minute here. Goli has a journey of kind of being the one who loves the language quite a bit, is in the class uh, 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 consistently, doesn't break a lot of rules, um, but is is kind of the, the youngest one in the class and uh, jumps into a, a lot of those situations. She's the one who ends up outing Omid um, because she is uh, kind of Facebook friends with uh, with him tangentially um, and outs that he has this engagement and, and a relationship outside, which kind of sets off some of the things along the line. 
Again, this structure of the play takes place over six class time weeks and an epilogue. Um, along those times, we we watch Marjan go through quite a bit of a journey as she um, engage, is kind of enforcing English um, in the classroom, but also um, just uh, noticing how uh, how her own relationship with English and Farsi is is uh, working. We we see this quite a bit with her and her chats with Omid, um, and throughout uh, the the play, we 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 see her trying to own some more of her story. I'm excited for some conversation around that, around like moving back home, around her interaction with the language, and around the weird kind of outsideness of knowing these two languages and wondering where where she belongs with them. Um, the, the, the play ends um, with uh, Elham coming back from uh, the exam and saying that she scored a 99 on it, that she's able to kind of, that she's able to pass the test and move on to, to uh, the next stage of her medical training in Australia. Um, and it ends in a really interesting scene of, of them speaking Farsi on stage together, which will make sense in a minute when uh, I say, uh, uh, the, well, I'll just do it now. The, the whole play takes the, the, the kind of uh, core thing of this play, and I'm excited to kind of jump into the conversation here, Jacob, the kind of magic of the play is we have English and Farsi being spoken on stage uh, throughout the play, um, but the uh, we're hearing it all in English. Um, and the kind of magic of the play is we're moving back and forth between English and accented English. Accented English when they're speaking American English and uh, unaccented English when they're speaking Farsi. And so this moment at the end of the play where they actually do speak Farsi on stage is, is, is in the Farsi language, not, not the... Uh, non-accented English that we've been hearing the whole time, but they kind of share this, this moment of speaking uh, Farsi together as the play ends. Yeah, so if you remember our conversations from uh, previous seasons, this method of staging different languages is not an uncommon one. Um, plays are presented sometimes with characters speaking, tr actors truly speaking in multiple languages, and that takes place a little bit here. But if, if you're writing a play for an American or an English-speaking audience, and it's about the process of learning English as a second language while speaking a different language, the method that Sanatustusi uses here, where when a character speaks in Farsi, their native language, they speak, you know, what to us would sound like unaccented, completely fluent, uh, you know, highly uh, robust English. And then when they're speaking, truly speaking English, the characters are truly speaking English to each other, they speak in accented, not as robust English. Um, that method is used a lot. Uh, in most no notably in our podcast, we discussed, I think last season, Brian Friel's truly brilliant play translations, which also uses this method. Uh, in that case, they're speaking Irish Gaelic and uh, English, uh, uh, English English, as the characters in, in this play English call it, English English, meaning UK English. Uh, and in this play, they're speaking American English and Farsi, but, but a similar thing. And, and, and truly, in a lot of ways, English by Sanaz Tuzi. Now, it's, it's going to be tough because we're going to be speaking about the language English and the play named English. Right. Throughout this podcast, we're going to say English a lot. Um, it, 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 anyway, truly, in a lot of ways, English by Sanaz Tusi is a, uh, a collaborator, a, a part of a cohort, a cousin to Brian Friel's translations. A lot of what is explored in that play is explored in this play, but with a different cultural context. Yeah, yeah, all all those kind of themes of communication and identity and culture, language, all that is sort of uh, definitely kind of connected into this play in very interesting ways, the way our conversation went with translations. And yeah, all the different ways that English shows up in here is really interesting. I, I, I misspoke in the, in the synopsis. Uh, Marjan is not from Massachusetts. She's from Manchester. I had the wrong M in my head, but that's Manchester, England, not Massachusetts in the States. So you have um, Marjan teaching American English, having learned it in England English <laughs> and all of these characters bringing their kind of uh, context from different places, their English parts of their English into it, all trying to find ways to express what's going on uh, some, some because of the rule of speaking English in class together, trying to express frustrations in their life in English and then slipping into Farsi. It makes for so many moments of really um, artfully picked 
or I'll, I'll rephrase that. It makes for so many really artfully picked moments of humor and uh, kind of crashing into each other um, uh, that, that happens when that happens. And also a lot of moments for um, kind of peeling back and simplifying an expression of an emotion with the limited vocabulary that you have, because uh, I've, I've taken, I've taken some immersive language courses before and, and it really forces you to like use the words you have available to you to communicate um, complex emotions. And a lot of these characters do that in really interesting ways, leading to some humor and also to some kind of getting to the core of the emotion or what's going on with them. Yeah, the, the characters in this play reflect, lament that when they're speaking English, they sound stupid. That is, that's how that's their words for it, right? Is that because the vocabulary that they are learning is necessarily limited. I mean, I, I only took several years of Spanish in, in high school, so I, I don't have anything equivalent to this. But thinking back to that, right, the vocabulary of Spanish that I learned was incredibly limited. And so to communicate in a robust way with that limited vocabulary, I'm sure to any native speaker of that language, the, the vocabulary I was even able to use was incredibly simple. And so the characters in this play lament that in English, they are not, for example, very funny. They are not, uh, at one point, uh, in, in what I think is one of the more brilliant lines of the play, uh, Roya says to Elham, um, you know, you better be careful. You better figure out your personality. Because in Farsi, you'd have this, you're abrasive, but your personality is at least layered. In English, she says, you won't have any redeeming qualities. Those <laughs> layers won't come through yeah. in your English. So you're going to need to figure this part of your personality out. This idea that because language is a tool to access the world, when that language is not, when you don't have a, a masterful grasp of that language, your ability to access that world is much more difficult. So this play sort of explores the idea that you may be a different person when speaking a different language. I, I'm not saying that the play makes that statement. I'm saying that the play asks that question. Are you a different person in a different language? In fact, at one point, though, Mead, uh, he and uh, Merjan have this kind of will they, won't they, awkward, like each other, sort of odd relationship throughout the play. And late in the play, when he's finally confronting her, Omid says, you only like me in English. Why mm, yeah. don't you like me in Farsi? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that re that really like kind of gets into w how one is presented when using language. There's there's the line that stands out to me of like the uh, imagine going years without being able to make someone laugh at a joke or something like that. Um, and that that kind of that that expression of of pain um, and ex expression of what it's like to kind of be between languages and trying to find a way to a get get to especially like in Elham's case, trying to kind of pursue her career um, while needing to kind of be shoehorned into this language that she doesn't really like. Um, uh, the 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 real the real need to try to communicate even with the pain of being forced to communicate in that way is, is on full display across many different characters in this play. In some ways, although the play is called English and it is spoken in English, it is the character's relationship with Farsi, which is the thing that is being investigated in the play. Or maybe the the comparative relationships that each of the characters have with Farsi and with English. They're being yeah. hugely different examples. Um, Omid being, you know, raised for a part of his life in Ohio, whereas some characters are just barely learning the the most rudimentary versions of the English language as, as sort of opposite ends of the spectrum. And at, at the risk of stating the obvious, if you've read this play or seen this play, what I'm about to say is the most obvious analysis of the play's structure. But <laughs> I, it's worth saying aloud because, because the play's so new, I don't know how many people have access to this play in a real way. The brilliance of the play's structure is this. In the prologue, which is the very first sort of scene thing that we see on stage. 
Merjan is preparing the classroom for her, I, I believe, the first week of English lessons with her with her soon-to-be students. And on the board, she writes English only. I think she's actually supposed to write it on the board in this prologue. So she establishes English only in my classroom. Then across the course of the play, that rule is sort of negotiated and tried to be forced more strictly. And where, of course, the whole play is happening in English, well, whereas the English is supposed to reflect both the American English language they're learning and the Farsi language that they're speaking. This goes on throughout the whole play. The play ends with Merjan in the context of the scenes speaking Farsi, but of course still speaking English. She she goes on this whole story where she's finally speaking Farsi with her students. Again, speaking, actually the actor actually speaking English, character speaking Farsi. And then the play ends with the actors actually speaking Farsi as their characters speaking Farsi. That is the overarching story sort of, I, I'm going to use the word spine and a lot of you out there are not are going to be annoyed at that because spine has a kind of specific meaning in, in plot <laughs> analysis and I don't right, mean right, it that right. way. I just mean the structural backbone of the play is that journey. And it's I, I mean, I, I haven't heard this play aloud or seen it. All I've done is read it several times. And in reading it it's like goosebump inducing mm -hmm. to see the Farsi finally the real Farsi language that we've been pretending to speak through the whole play and negotiating whether we even actually can I mean I'm speaking we as the characters I guess whether we even actually are allowed to speak and then the real language appears on the play I can only imagine the emotional effect of the real language spoken in the room at the end of this play well, and it's and especially since it's Marijan who is the one who does it, who yes, kind of inst yes. instigates it at the end of the play. Because I, I agree, the sort of like arc or the journey or or the wandering, perhaps <laughs> uh, that 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 guides it through the play is is definitely partially owned by Marijan, who yeah starts the play saying English only, and at the end of the play is the one to uh, start a conversation in in Farsi on stage for the not. I mean, the characters again have been speaking Farsi the whole time, but the, but we right, right. But we hear it <laughs> in really Farsi. Really Farsi, <laughs> exactly. We hear it in Farsi for the first time, and so that that journey Incredible. is definitely chill-inducing for sure. And actually, it, it, the reversal happens even a little bit more because the first interaction that Merjan has that we see, so the, the little prologue where she writes English only happens, first scene is Elhan giving a little show-and-tell speech, right? And um, the, the Elhan is trying to do the speech, and throughout the speech keeps slipping back into Farsi. And Merjan keeps saying, no, you have to speak it in English, you have to speak it in English, blah, blah, blah. And that becomes one of the central conflicts throughout the plays, Elhan and Merjan going back and forth, whether who, when they can speak Farsi, who who can speak Farsi, getting tally marks like strikes right. for speaking Farsi in the classroom. And then in that last scene, I'm speaking fast because it's so brilliant that I'm so excited. <laughs> in that last scene, the kind of epilogue after a period of time has passed, Elon takes the test. Elon comes back into the classroom and Merjan is speaking to Elhan in Farsi. And Elhan says, no, let's speak in English. Yeah. I mean, what a reversal. Absolutely. Holy cow. So good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, the, the double reversal of that, the two characters kind of intersecting in the middle and passing each other. One of the one of the big last scenes we get with Elhan is Elhan getting kicked out of class <laughs> for violating the the uh English only rule multiple times. Um and yeah, yeah. So so I, I agree that so much of this is that kind of interaction slash interplay between English and Farsi for all of these characters is a great line right at the beginning of the play. I think Goalie is giving um, uh, a presentation and talks about the differences between Farsi and English. So right away in that first scene, you get Goalie saying... Um, Stuff like uh, English doesn't want to be poetry like Farsi um, and English does not try to sink or get out of the water. It stays on top of the water. Um, th those sorts of things, this sort of like engagement of these characters with this language and trying to imagine um, uh, the differences between them, articulate them in English when it's when it's kind of a newish language for them um, is just just leads to so much of that tension and and so much of that familiar like that that tension gets worked out in other ways too. I think of Roya as an excellent example of this. Um, her story with her son and her granddaughter is just 
a, a, a great um, uh, uh, crystallization of this issue into a real life situation of a grandma wanting to connect with her granddaughter who only speaks English and whose parents won't teach their, their her granddaughter Farsi. And so she must learn English in order to communicate with her granddaughter and have connection with her family. Very fascinating. That, that, like that's, ex that's exactly the real life problem that is kind of underneath uh, the, the sort of, um, meta meta uh engagement of two languages clashing together i am for classes that i'm teaching at the university i've been going back through some of the materials that i have about i i'm i'm going to be teaching classes sort of on the basis classes i teach all the time about kind of the basics of drama what is drama how does dramatic action work all that kind of basic level stuff and to be going back through those materials to prepare for this semester while reading this play this play has such a uh, uh, Sanaz Tusi has such a robust grasp of the fundamentals that it's like uh, it, it, she is able to use those fundamentals in masterful ways. Uh, for example, negotiating with the, the, this, what I have written down in my notes to talk about right now is that uh, the, the scenes are all titled based on the day of the week and the week of class. I don't know that that's really all that worth talking about other than to just say the scene I'm referencing is week four Wednesday. This is the final scene that Roya is in the play, which is why I bring it up now as we're discussing this character. And Roya has been throughout leaving voicemails on her son's phone. That's not true, actually. She just got the phone a couple scenes ago. But since she got the phone, she's been leaving voicemails on her son's phone in English. And the idea is she's trying to prove to her son that she can speak English well enough. She, her, she apparently has had a deal with the son for a while that she would learn English so she could communicate with the family. And so she's been leaving voicemails and one of the other characters gets on her like, you know, there's a reason your son's not answering you and it causes a kind of a conflict. So she finally comes into class and I think it's supposed to be her show and tell. They've all done show and tells and it's not explicitly named, but I think this is supposed to be Roya's show and tell. And what she brings is a voicemail from her son. Now, first of all, this is brilliant dramatic writing from Sanaz Tusi to be able to introduce a character to us without that character having to inter to appear on stage and to leave behind traceable, examinable evidence. This is what Shakespeare used to do with letters. There's a reason why there are letters in the Shakespeare plays and they don't just have characters talk to each other. It's because with letters, you can put them on stage and examine them and figure out why people said something and say it over and over. And so this so this is the modern day version of that, right? It's a voicemail instead of letter. Mm, I guess yeah, yeah. emails or whatever, but we get this voicemail. And in the voicemail, she objects to specific words that are used by her son. The word mom instead of what I'm going to pronounce as mammon or maman, which is a Farsi word for mother, I guess, um, or grandmother, I'm not sure. And the word visit for the word live. And nowhere in there does she express this like, I don't know if I have a relationship with my son because he's uh, now living in Canada. I don't know if I'm going to be able to speak the same language as my granddaughter ever. How can I continue to be the person that I all of this stuff that's investigated by the play? But she objects to specific words and the specific name her son is now going by in Canada. Nate instead of Nadir. And in that specific, minute, it sort of seems like, a negotiations over individual words, you get the sense of the immense grief and conflict that this character is going through. But it's just little things. And that is such an incredible grasp of the fundamentals. Specificity, breeding, a much deeper well of emotion than if she had just gotten up and said to the class, you know, I'm not sure I'm ever going to have a relationship with my family because they speak English and that makes me sad. That is not anywhere close to as powerful as the scene that yeah. currently exists <laughs> because she objects to his use of specific words and what that means to her. And again, that's her final sort of uh, scene in the play. Eventually, she ends the scene by uh, playing an Iranian song. They've all been playing English songs throughout. And she asks a class to instead celebrate this song that's sung in Farsi. I mean, it's just uh, it's, it's such a brilliant scene. It is. And, and, and I think uh, uh, to add another layer onto it, it's 
I think I, I'm going to say this, and I'm sure there's there's a moment earlier that'll that'll prove me wrong. But it's one of the earlier moments when uh, Amerjan uh, uh, does not have control of the English in the classroom. Um, is is this scene? So that that power is also being negotiated at, by the end of the scene of 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 Roya Roya saying, "No, you, we need to listen to this. We should remember this. We should remember our names, and we're going to listen to this song together." Um, and and uh, the the kind of rule of English is broken in the classroom for in in a really meaningful way for one of the first times. It continues to be broken as a result of that, but it's the last time we see Roya. This this scene has a lot a lot of the power dynamic that you're already describing in that and how powerful it is. And then also in terms of like the way that Merjan's uh, rule of the classroom goes, um, it's another sort of like removal of a brick from the wall of that 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 rule as we see uh, the, the journey between the characters and interacting with each other. Yes, no, absolutely. And, and one of the questions I have, and I don't know... Unless for some reason, which I don't, I don't think I would, just based on my my identity. But if I were directing the piece for some reason, uh, yeah, I'm not sure I would. I'm not sure I will have an answer to this question until that such a time as that maybe were to exist. But it is never explicit why Roya leaves the class. I think in one reading, I had more or less convinced myself that Roya quit the class. She was unconvinced that this is the way she wanted to go out to to continue to live her life. Uh, I, I, in another reading, I, I, I more or less convinced myself that Marjan kicked her out. Uh, we get one question yeah. several scenes later where somebody says, whatever happened to Roya? And Marjan is, I would say more than a little cagey yeah. about why <laughs> Roya has not come back. Now, maybe that's because she feels hurt that Roya doesn't want to learn English anymore. Or maybe it's because she feels guilty because she kicked Roya out of the I mean, I don't know. It's never said, but it's a question. It is a question, yeah. Cert certainly later on, Merjan kicks uh, Omid out. Um, so she, she's the one who says, uh, this class is not not for <laughs> native English speakers. You have to leave. Um, uh, and uh, so, so yeah, there's, there's def there, I think that, that definitely would be a question of that. And, and which way you land on that um, gives, gives Merjan something else to play with, too. Um, the, the degree to which Merjan is willing to kind of hold the line on this until she isn't. Um, is is a really interesting journey for the actor playing Merjan to go on. Really interesting journey for the character and the audience to go on too of like how long can this rule be maintained? And then and 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 that makes the scenes between her and Omid even more um, peek behind the curtain-y. Because if if over and over she makes these strong choices to just hardline no our, our curiosity has peaked even more. And so each time that she reveals a little bit more about her story with Omid, a little bit more, a little bit more, and then finally that presentation that she gives with Goli at the end of the play, each of those become even more impactful revelation the more she front faces being hardline against any other language in the classroom but English. So I, both you and I, Jackson, sort of got our dr drama studying under doing a lot of reading of Jeff Sweet's yeah. sort of drama. What I would, I would call them drama manuals. Right. Jeff, if you're yeah, out yeah. there and I'm, you don't agree with me, I'm sorry. You, can, you and I could talk about that because weirdly, we talk somewhat frequently. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Including uh, being a guest on this podcast, the great Jeffrey Sweet. Uh, so all that is say, well, I'm, I'm rereading some of those materials as I've already talked about. Uh, and there's a great chapter in uh, what uh, playwright, I think it's what playwrights talk about when they talk about writing. Um, or maybe it's the dramatist handbook. Anyway, one of his manuals um, talks is a structure chapter and talks about the difference between character-centered drama and event-centered drama. Character-centered drama, right, the, the, the plot, the structure of the piece is based on a character achieving or not achieving their goal. They spend the whole play pursuing it, and at the end of the play, it either happens or it doesn't happen, and that's how the play ends. Event-centered drama are structured based on an exterior event, and things happen within it, but it's the conclusion of the event which concludes the play. For example, a wedding. When they get married and kiss, the play is over, you know, one way or the other. Those tend to be, those could have character arcs in them, but overarchingly, it's the event. Now, the, the best playwrights are able to take something like this play, which I would say is almost an arguably an event-centered drama. This is a play about a class to prepare for a test, and the play could not end. I mean, 
is there any satisfying conclusion of this play where we don't learn whether the characters pass the test or not? It's, it's impossible. Yeah. It's just impossible to imagine. Certainly, the play um, has yeah. to end with the with the characters, the students, passing the test or not passing the test. That's what the whole play is about. Are they going to pass this test? So the, this is an event-centered drama because an exterior event judges, determines when the end of the play is going to be. But to sh- the masterwork of Sanaz Tusi is to combine a character's journey with an event and to, in the brilliance of her imagination, make a character's big turning point happen with the conclusion of the event. So the Merjan discovers this big thing about herself and her relationship with the English language right in line with when the play should ends. And it concludes with her choosing to teach a, a, a beginner's class in English, which the big thing there is what Elhan says, basically, you're going to be teaching rudimentary English, which means you're going to have to speak Farsi while you're teaching it. So she has made a decision to move away from English only as her method of, I mean, early in the play, she says, set your Iranianness aside when you enter this classroom. That has been her teaching method. And what she determines about herself and her relationship with the West and it alters right in line with a predetermined event. I mean, it's only the best can do that in that way. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. The, the use of the exterior to cause an interior change um, is, is, yeah, yeah. Be- beautiful, beautiful arc for a character. Um, and, and, and that's sort of like... I agree that that moment late, late in the play when she describes, or she, I believe she's talking to Elham and she says, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of done teaching this level of, or this, this area of, of English learning. And I'm going to go teach uh, elementary ages is like that. I feel like there's, there's like both pain and, uh, uh, and, uh, something glowing in that around like, uh, yes, the, the journey back towards needing to kind of include Varsi in the conversation of her English teaching is, is a beautiful one. You also have, I think the, the real pain of the moments like Royal leaving of moments like, uh, like, uh, Omid having to leave all of those things, I think, uh, are hearkened back to in that admission, even as you get the, the, the glow of moving towards some sort of synthesis between the language for her. There's a great, uh, towards the end of the play, as Merjan is going through this transformation. And, and part of the transformation is is the story that she tells about her living in the UK. And she spends a lot of the play celebrating the West, celebrating English, and uh, finally, towards the end of the play, is able to sort of admit the reason why she came back, the separation that she felt, the judgment that she felt. I mean, even Omid, who was raised at part in Ohio, says, you know, I, I, I am more or less a native speaker of English, but I speak it with an accent, which means nobody cares about me. I'm discriminated against in a real way because of this. All that to say, as she's going through this in her, in Merjan, the teacher's speech that she gives, uh, her show and tell thing that happens at the end of the play, she asks this question uh, because she's speaking English in, she's describing her time in Manchester and she's speaking English. And this is uh, the quote that you quoted earlier, Jackson, about going years without making someone laugh. She describes what it's like to speak in a language that's not yours and to be this kind of question of being a different person. And she goes on to ask the question, how long can you live in isolation from yourself? self. Yeah. And that becomes the one of the questions about how this play thinks about language and its power to connect people and to isolate people. And the 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 revelations from each of the characters in turn about what it is like to speak in English as opposed to Farsi for them. And it would be the same for, I mean, this is not, if I were trying to speak in Spanish or in Farsi, it would, I I would have a comparable experience. Now, not the same cultural experience, of course, but a comparable experience where I, it is when you cannot communicate the breadth and depth of what is inside of you, then you, the the play asks the question, you know, how long can you live like that? What is that? I mean, what does it mean to be isolated even from yourself, from the interior parts of yourself? Hmm. 
yeah, to long to long for that connection, but to be to be isolated, to to be uh, disoriented in yourself as well. Um, all, all, yeah. There's so there's so many like individual elements of the play, individual like rabbit holes we could go down. Alas, we are coming to the end of our time on this particular uh, show. What what a great show to start out the season. Oh my gosh, <laughs> this play. I mean, we discover a lot of new plays on this podcast, but this play is very new in timeline. It's just. World premiere is 2022, yep. and it just won the Pulitzer. So it's, I mean, wow. So, yeah, it's just wow. so good. <laughs> super, super good. Uh, we love, we though we have to bring the conversation to an end of the podcast, we'd love to keep talking about it on the show. But uh, we'd also love to be, keep talking about it with all of you out there in podcast land. You can find us on the Facebooks, the Instagrams, the Twitters, uh, at No Script Podcast. We also have a Gmail. No I don't know, Jackson. I at this point, don't we have to call it X? It doesn't seem know. like it's going back. Yeah. I literally, literally, I thought for a while if we just said, uh, you know what, it's Twitter. I, I thought maybe it would go back. It's, it's like, true. Okay. At this point, I don't know. At this point, we're going to stop having a Twitter. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I'm down. Shut it down. I don't care. No, I'll call it X. I'll call it X until we don't have one anymore. We have a Twitter, uh, an X. Dang it, we have an X <laughs> at No Skip Podcast on all. Is those. that what it's called? Having an X? Oh my gosh, I don't know. What do you do? You I don't, don't know you either. Don't, you don't. Do post, you X? Do you, do you post a- an X? You, we you sound post old. An X? We sound old. We is it? Pull, pull is the, the thing that you create on X? Is that an X? <laughs> we could ask. We could ask it. Um, Elon, if you're out there. <laughs> right, for sure. Definitely <laughs> tunes into the show. Anyway, we'd love to keep... <laughs> we'd love How to keep... surprised would you be if Elon... I mean, that would be... That'd be great. The, one of the most shocking things of all time. <laughs> It'd be kind of wild. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, we'd love to keep chatting about the play with you on any of the places and whatever you call them. You can find us at the username <laughs> at NoScriptPodcast or at Gmail at NoScriptPodcast at gmail.com. We will be back next week with another conversation about another great script. Until then, if you liked this conversation or any of our other conversations, please recommend us to your family, your friends, anybody you know that likes talking about stories, about themes, nerding out about playwriting structure like we did for about 47 minutes of this (laughs) now 51-minute podcast. (laughs) Send them our way. They will like no script. You can find they can find us. You already found us. They'll be able to find us. Find us on Spotify, on uh, Apple Podcasts, on Google, on YouTube, all those kinds of places. Wherever you get your podcasts, we're out there. You can also like us on Facebook. We post a link to the episode every Monday when it comes out. For the less tech-savvy folks in your life, that might be the way to do it if they've got a Facebook. However you find us, we'll be glad to have you for conversations about theater's best scripts. Till then, that's Jackson. I'm Jacob. Thanks for joining us for No Script.